People say the Premier League is impossible to predict, but this podcast is here to help. We're working with InfoGold to take a look at the numbers for each and every one of the Premier League fixtures this season. If you're looking to find value in the markets, data can be the key. Welcome to Premier League Insights. Premier League Insights is now back again and we're ready for game week 11. I'm once again joined by Jay Coscothorpe from InfoGold to help run through the numbers and see if we can uncover the value in this weekend's round of fixtures. Hello, Jake. Hi, Ben. How's it going? Yeah, very well, thank you. Looking forward to Premier League. Got a little bit of League Cup to get through th- through first, but looking forward to the weekend's fixtures. How about you? Yeah, but I'm thinking fast now and the table's starting to take a bit of shape. Um, starting to see teams that are struggling, teams that are perhaps under and overperforming. So yeah, it's getting interesting now. Right, so let's dive into the fixtures. We've got Bournemouth versus Manchester United first. And obviously, said last week, Bournemouth made me look silly in game week nine. And thanks to them again, they've done the same with you this week. Uh, we keep saying they score plenty of goals. They concede a fair few, but... Their last three results have been a 1-0 loss and 2-0-0s. And the numbers from those matches, they're, they're pretty much in line with the scores we've seen as well. So difficult to really work out what's going on there. With Manchester United, they got their season back on track with, a, with an impressive win against Norwich. The XG numbers were boosted once again by some penalties, but they did create several decent chances in open play as well. And, and as always from this season, they looked pretty solid at the back, despite conceding right at the end. So... I said about United getting their season back on track and that's more to do with perhaps the public perception because I think anyone looking at their their underlying process will know that they deserve to be much further up the table than where they actually are. So Bournemouth, they they represent a bit more of a challenge than Norwich. Obviously, if Bournemouth get back to that that free-flowing football and, and play the way they can, they could cause United some problems. But is there any value on offer here, do you think? Uh, we think so, yeah. But the, like you said, the major question is uh, is what Bournemouth are we going to see? Are we, are we going to see a gung-ho Bournemouth that, that look a real attacking force, creating plenty of good chances, but also conceding them? Or the, the Bournemouth that we've seen in the last three games that have you know been involved in one goal in, in three games? So that's the real question here. If, if it is the latter and, and they, they do continue to play the way they're playing, um, it's hard to see them causing Man United problems because they haven't been very potent in attack. But they could... Um, they could hold Manchester United to perhaps another goalless draw, um, given what we've seen so far. You know, interestingly, well, it's very unlike Bournemouth, really, um, to be involved in such low-scoring games. And it's come as a huge surprise um, to both Infogol and probably the betting public that that they have been involved in uh, in two nil nils back to back. But it's something that um, that, like you said, the underlying numbers have reflected those results. Um, and yeah, I'm just wondering what Eddie Howe's uh, thoughts are on, on this in, in terms of whether he thought they were too open um, and too vulnerable playing their open, expansive game. Um, so he's referred to a more um, Sean Dyche-esque sort of style of play and trying to be hard to beat. But I don't know, I think sooner or later he'll revert back because it's clear that they're not having too much success having played two teams, bottom and second bottom of the league and, and failed to, to register a goal. So um yeah, I'm, look, I'm I'm expecting Bournemouth to at some point in the near future get back to their crazy ways, but it could it might be held back for another game at least against uh, what you did say is you know an improving Manchester United side. They were very impressive against Norwich. They um, you know they racked up three expected goals. Um, if you take two penalties away, three expected goals. So they created plenty of good chances in that game. Uh, the caveat being that it was against Norwich, who are the worst defensive team in the league after ten games. Before for United to play against Bournemouth, who on average over the course of the 10 games rank as one of the worst defensive teams also in the Premier League. Uh, Bournemouth are allowing 1.72 expected goals against per game, uh, which shows you just how poor the defence was before the uh, the three low scoring games that we've seen recently. <clears throat> United were boosted, obviously, by the return of Anthony Martial. And I've, I've no doubt that he added another, um, you know, another threat to what is or what has been at the start of the season, a very bare-bones Manchester United attacking front line. So having him back and fit is a huge boost for Solskjaer. It provides him with another weapon, another um, dynamic. Uh, they can change the dynamics. They can play two up front if they wanted to um, cause Bill with plenty of problems. And United still boasts the best defensive process in the league after 10 games. Um, obviously, Norwich didn't do too much to threaten that um, they're averaging just 0.96 expected goals against so they're more than capable of holding Bournemouth here and you know Infogol's 
found a fair bit of value actually, given it's the one x two market uh, in backing Manchester United to get the win. We've we've got them at a forty nine percent chance of getting the three points uh, compared to around forty four percent on the market. So it could be another good away day for Manchester United. Yeah, definitely surprising to to see that on the market. And I mean the the goals mark is a low one as well. So potentially United in a close game could be the play there. Our next game is Arsenal versus Wolves, and I'm going to sound out a weekly warning to all Arsenal fans. <laughs> if, you're, if you're looking for some positive news about your club, you're, you're probably not going to hear it on this podcast. I mean, they they were seemingly cruising at 2-0 against Palace. They then conceded a penalty, and I know you're a big fan of David Luiz. He, he just let AU kind of ghost in behind him for a simple finish to make it 2-2. Some will obviously argue that Arsenal's late winner maybe should have stood, but... Beyond that early David Luiz goal, they didn't really create too much. And uh, Palace were probably the better team based on the underlying numbers. And for their opponents this week, Wolves, they're not really the same team that they were last season. They still posted some good numbers against Newcastle. And they've had a couple of good wins this season, but they do seem to be plodding along a bit. They're currently 12th in the table, and that's pretty much in line with the expectation. So we've got two teams that, that would have started the hope with they would have started the season with plenty of hope, but things don't really seem to be going to plan for them. So what does the InfoGoal model think of this one? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one, this one. Like, obviously, you've mentioned it there already that it is this podcast isn't an Arsenal hammering podcast. This is a friendly podcast that just points out the underlying numbers. And, and unfortunately for Arsenal fans, not only are the results been poor recently, but the underlying numbers have been poor also. So it isn't a surprise um, from an InfoGoal perspective to see them performing so badly in terms of uh, the results that they've collected. Obviously, their defeat at Sheffield United was a, was a poor one, uh, but the draw at home to Crystal Palace will be an even tougher one to take, having been 2-0 up in that game and, and seemingly cruising. But it's the same old Arsenal. The Achilles heel is that the defensive process is is just really poor. Um, you know, they're averaging 1.65 expected goals against per game. So, you know, they just haven't seen any improvement under Emery. And I always thought of him as a quite a pragmatic manager um, the sort of manager that would keep things tight at the back uh, basically form a solid base and build from there but it doesn't seem the case at all um, the other worrying thing for Arsenal that I've noticed is that they're the last three goals that they've scored in the Premier League so one against Bournemouth the winner and two against Crystal Palace have all come from corners uh, and set pieces so that they're actually creating the creation from open play is actually really low um, and it's something that they really need to improve on if they are to to think of themselves as serious top four contenders. Uh, and that would have been the case as well with the potential winner. Obviously, they got ruled out by VAR. That came from a corner also. So what I'm seeing from Arsenal uh, more regularly is a real lack of attacking creativity from open play um, and the heavy reliant on on set pieces. And, you know, Nicolas Pepe, to be fair to him, puts a good delivery in. That's uh, probably not quite enough to match up to his £70 million price tag, but um, it's on the way there. But yeah, it's still cause for concern for Arsenal. And this is a really tricky game for them against the Wolves team that um, I know we bang on about it every time they play one of the big six, but they are a really good team when it comes to playing the big six um, or the inverted commas big six. Arsenal still, still fit into that bracket for the time being anyway. Uh, but yeah, the uh, Wolves are a team that they went to Arsenal last season and got a 1-1 draw. They were unfortunate not to get three points going to expected goals. Um, and they beat Arsenal 3-1 at home. So last season, they've got fond memories of playing the Gunners. Uh, not much has changed in either camp, really, in terms of uh, players, in terms of process. Uh, obviously, the managers are the same. Um, and, you know, there's only one place separates them in, in InfoGoal's expected goals table, with Arsenal in 10th and Wolves in 11th. So to see Arsenal at such short favourites is a huge surprise to InfoGoal. Um, they're around 57% on the market are Arsenal, and InfoGoal's got them around 46%. So... There's just no value in backing the Gunners. They, they're way too short. And Wolves are a team that are well-organised. Nuno's already come out and said that he's going to rest pretty much all of his starting eleven for the, the League Cup game in midweek, such as being their, you know, their taxing schedule, playing Thursday, Sunday, Thursday, Sunday. So he's going to give them a break so they'll be fresh for this game. And the Infocom model thinks there's a great amount of value in, in backing Wolves to avoid defeat here. Um, Wolves or the draw were around a 54% chance. So... Uh, that that is definitely the bet in this one, and uh, you know, could be another one for Arsenal where things don't go the way. Unai Emery comes under some stick. Maybe a player will have a go at the fans. I'm not too sure, but um, 
you know, we're not seeing, we're not, we're not, we're not being over enthusiastic about Arsenal's chances in this one. I think one of these days they're going to win three or four nil and, and shut us up for a week at least. I think I would love to see it, Ben. And then the, I mean, you noted there about kind of the the struggles with open play. Do you think it's as simple as obviously there's a lot of news about Meza Urzel at the moment? Is it a case of bring him in and try and work on that? Because I know their problems do extend right over the pitch. I mean, we're not talking about defence here; that's a separate issue. But when it comes to to creating chances, is there a simple solution that they've already got? Um, I think so. Yeah. I mean, obviously, we all know that Urzel is, is an absolute magician when he's got the ball at his feet. Uh, what he doesn't do is it's the dirty side of, of football, which is running around, closing down, hassling and harrying. And uh, and that's something that, um, that Unai Emery wants from his players. However, when you're struggling with, um, like like you've said, the creating a, from open play, he is the sort of player that can unlock a defence um, because the players that they've got in there at the minute just aren't doing it. Guendouzi, Xhaka, you've got Torreira in there. Even Caballos has, has been poor recently. Um, and when you, you know, apart from Caballos, the other three that I've mentioned, that he has played in, in a midfield three in quite a few games this season. They're just not creative at all. They, you know, Aubameyang's feet living off scraps. Um, you could argue Lacazette and Pepe are also living off scraps, which is why that they're why they're not perhaps living up to the pre-season billing. Um, for me, uh, I don't know. I think it could do with a change of system. You know, you've got two really good strikers, Lacazette and Aubameyang. They need to be on the pitch at the same time. You know, they've, they've shown in previous matches and previous seasons that they can link up exceptionally well. They have to play. Both of them have to play up front. You can't be forcing one out wide. Um, and, you know, we've all we've all said that they're defensively they're, they're, they're extremely vulnerable. So why not perhaps try a three at the back and get an extra man to cover? You know, everyone feels so much more comfortable when they've got an extra man next to them. Um, and that would open the door up to playing Bellerin and Tierney as perhaps wing-backs. Not saying that I can do Una Emery's job or anything like that, but I'd just try something different, try and get them going, try and find a way to open teams up, uh, do something a little bit different, because at the minute he just looks like he's bereft of ideas, Una Emery. Um, and, you know, it, it was the Arsenal fans, they watch week in, week out, and, and they know, like, although the results were pretty good a few weeks back, they know that, that the team aren't performing to a level that they've, they expect them to. So, um, yeah, I, I think he, he's under pressure in Emery, um, and he needs to change things around, not just with results, but with the performances as well. Well, give it a couple more weeks. They might get so desperate that they, you might find yourself in the dugout, Jake. Right, so next up, we've got Aston Villa versus Liverpool. Aston Villa, they obviously wouldn't have expected much from their last fixture against Manchester City, and the same could be said really for this week against Liverpool. Given the strength of those teams at the top of the table, I mean, getting anything out of these kind of games is going to be a massive plus. They they couldn't do much at all to to limit City in terms of their defence, but they'll be looking to maybe implement a more more effective game plan against Liverpool. At the other end of the pitch, they Villa did have some some success against City, but it's going to be even harder this weekend against Liverpool. They, I guess, they've shown they weren't impenetrable against Spurs, but. The bulk of those XG figures against Tottenham did come from that close-range Harry Kane goal. So Liverpool are looking very consistent. They seem to be getting better and better as the weeks go on. Many will have this down as a routine win if they're anywhere near their normal level of performance in attack and at the back. So does Infogol think there's any value on offer here? Uh, yeah, not not in the 1x2 market. We've got Liverpool's strong favourites, but not to the point where um, they represent value to back. They are short priced, obviously, and um, understandably so, given how well they've started the season. Um, I've got to say, I was impressed by Aston Villa, especially in the first half against Manchester City. Obviously, they went in nil-nil. Villa were holding their own, really, and they limited Manchester City very well. The early goal in the second half, obviously, uh, basically killed the game off then, um, and it was just attack after attack. And, I, you know, I'm expecting a similar sort of performance here. Uh, Villa to try and keep it things tight. Uh, they have shown that they can create good chances, but um, yeah, I, I think this Liverpool side are, are looking extremely strong. And I'd go, I'd even go to go on to say that they're defensively they they are looking stronger and stronger as the weeks go on. Um, obviously, we we spoke about the you know the Leicester game, the Manchester United game, the Tottenham game. They didn't really create uh, concede too many chances in I in you know all three of those and. You think Villa are uh, a notch down on those sort of uh, teams, you know, maybe two notches down. So I'm not expecting Villa to be to cause Liverpool too many problems here. And um, 
yeah, I think it's going to be a comfortable away win. But the value playing this one is to look in, uh, at the both teams to score market and specifically both teams to score no. I, I think it, Liverpool's chances of keeping a clean sheet here are, are very strong. Um, even though Villa do create good chances, I, I'm quite confident in Liverpool's um, solidity in the back line. Obviously, Alisson's back in there now. Um, and obviously the solidity in the midfield. So um, Infogol is looking at a 55% chance of both teams to score no. Um, it's around 50% on the market. So you've got a, a fair bit of value there. And obviously, if you wanted to extend that, go to Liverpool, win to nil, uh, you probably get a, a, a decent price as well. Yeah, Pinnacle got Liverpool at around 70%. And the total goals market sat at three. And you have to imagine that the the bulk of that, the expectation is that it's going to come from the likes of Mohamed Salah and Sadio Mane. Right, so next we've got Brighton versus Norwich and we've been pretty big on Brighton throughout the season. They had a, a couple of below-par performances, but for the most part, they've looked a lot better in attack than they did under Chris Hewton last season and they haven't really sacrificed that stability at the back either. So many will have it as a fortunate win against Everton given the circumstances that the goal came about. But despite the scoreline, it was a, it was a game of very few chances that the Brighton were probably, say probably, they were certainly good value for the three points. So... Their opponents, Norwich, I mean, they've, they've they've tanked pretty much since that win against Manchester City. They've managed just one point and two goals in the last five games, and the underlying numbers haven't really been much better than that. Um, a lot of hype around Timo Pukki at the start of the season that's it's died down, and the only really constant with Norwich seems to be that they're, they're frail at the back. So they want to hope that the gaps don't start to appear at the bottom of the table because the the games are going to keep going on and it gets increasingly difficult to make up ground the the bigger those gaps get. So I know you're a fan of Graham Potter and, and what he's done at Brighton and the InfoGoal model rates them quite highly as well. So is there any value in them beating Norwich this weekend? Um, surprisingly not, no. Um, and I think part of that is, is due to the fact that um, the rating is still catching up with, with what we've seen this season. Um, so we've still got some some of the ratings still weighted to the back in the last season, which sounds unfair, but it's the, it's the fairest way to do it across all teams. But if you're taking the, these two game, uh, two teams in isolation, um, I'd probably say there is value in backing uh, Brighton to win this one based on what we've seen so far this season, especially at home. Um, you know, if they beat Everton, they beat Spurs extremely handsomely um, and rightly so. Obviously the loss to Southampton, but we're down to 10 men after half an hour. Um, and then drew with West Ham and Burnley, but deserved to win both of those matches. So, you know, based on XG, the performances at home have been exceptional. Um, and I would not put anyone off back in Brighton, even at such a short price, I think about 55, 56% on the market. So I won't put anyone off back in them. Um, but instead, we're looking elsewhere. We're looking at, uh, at the goals market. Um, I think you remember a few weeks ago when Norwich went to Bournemouth and I said it could be a low scoring one. I think this could be something similar. Um, I think Brighton will have total control of the game. I think Norwich will struggle to to stamp their authority, um, you know, at, at the Amex. And Brighton do look really good. They've got some great options as well that are coming back in. Um, obviously, Leandro Trossard was uh, a big impact sub at the weekend. They had a great, he had got the, we call it an assist for the own goal. Um, he, he looks really good when he's back fit. He'll be a, he'll be a top player for Brighton. Uh, they've got some real weapons that, that that can hurt Norwich, and Norwich are the worst defensive team in the league on expected goals, allowing 2.31 expected goals against per game. Their attacking process is, is, has been on decline ever since that Manchester City game, really. Uh, they've really struggled to impose themselves on, on, on matches, uh, especially from an attacking point of view. Uh, and in that run, obviously, you look at the, the, the 5-1 defeat to Villa stands out as a huge one, really, because the Villa are a team more of, of Norwich's level than Brighton's. And, and the gulf in class between the two of them on that day was huge. So um, I think Norwich will continue to struggle this season. Obviously, tough game for them again here against Brighton. And um, we, we think it's going to be a, a, you know, a comfortable home win with uh, with few goals. Not going to be as, as crazy as the 3-2 that we saw against Everton, I don't think. Um but yeah, we found a small amount of value in, in backing under two and a half goals. We've got that around 52%. Uh, I think it's around 46% on the market. So, um, you know, a, a narrow but comfortable home win is what we're expecting here. Yeah, the odds suggesting the the over, sorry, and also the market buying into the over. So a bit of, bit of opposing the market going on there and we'll have to see what happens. So now we've got Manchester City versus Southampton. Obviously, if you've just gone and conceded nine goals in a single match, I think the the last place you want to be going is the Etihad. Uh, Twice. <laughs> they play them in the League Cup as well, don't they? Yeah. I mean, 
City, they looked as good as ever against Aston Villa. I think they racked up over 3.5 XG again this season. Similarly, they did still allow a couple of chances and they're now going to be missing Fernandinho. He, he seems to have done a, a, a decent job since stepping in at centre-back. Southampton, I don't, I don't really think much needs to be said about the last fixture. They did obviously have 10 men for most of the game and Leicester were very, very clinical, but conceding nearly five expected goals is, I mean, it's really bad going. The the positive for Southampton is they were they were playing well before that. We kept saying they were unlucky. Um, it was an out of character performance. They're going to need an obviously a big response to challenge City, but the market doesn't give them barely any chance at all. I think it's three percent for a win, eight percent for a draw. Everyone seems to be expected goals in this one. So is there value opposing that? Maybe um, no, no. We we think there's going to be plenty of goals in this one. Um, over eleven and a half actually. Um, no, I'm only joking. <laughs> um, yeah, I'd, obviously you mentioned their City have just, you know, they continue to just be irresistible going forward. They're 3.22 expected goals for per game this season, which is, you know, it's a staggering number. When you think the next best is, uh, I think it's Chelsea at 2.15. They're all creating almost an expected goal more per game than, than the next best team. So they'll continue to do that. Um, they'll continue to do Manchester City, which is just... Thump teams uh, create loads of chances, but you know they always look shaky defensively. Villa were unfortunate not to get on the score sheet um, last weekend. Edison made a couple of good saves, um, and you know you mentioned there Fernandinho's out, which is which is you know probably a, a really big blow for them. Uh, that means that Otamendi's going to have to play alongside John Stones, which when you say on paper two centre backs playing next to each other instead of a centre back and a central midfielder you think that sounds okay but having watched them against Norwich that is a bit of a worry for them um, but fortunately for them they're playing Southampton who are just completely bereft of confidence uh, even more so after that trouncing um, yeah that, uh, you mentioned that the, the online process has been pretty good so far this season but what I saw on, on Friday night that worries me that worries me um, you know you're 5-0 down at half time just don't don't make it ridiculous. Don't don't lose by a silly margin. Dig in, fight. Um, you know, if you lose six nil, that's it's not the end of the world. But to go nine, that ties the the record for the you know the biggest Premier League win um, of all time, and it also the the biggest Premier League home defeat um, of all time. So yeah, it was a little bit embarrassing that. And you know, when you see players almost down tools like they did, that is that is a huge worry. Um, and yeah, there isn't a, a worse place in football to go after after such a thumping because this could be similar um, if if Southampton aren't up to the task and they're not fighting for every ball. We we think that they will they'll have a go. They will create chances. Um, I think they would have created chances against Leicester if if they'd have had eleven men on the pitch for um, you know for the full ninety minutes. They would have caused Leicester problems, which they have done uh, to teams all season. They're averaging one point five seven expected goals for. Uh, and given Manchester City's defensive issues, uh, not only with the process, they're, they're allowing 1.24 expected goals against per game, which is uh, fairly high for them. Uh, but obviously, the, the personnel issues that they've got there. Um, you know, we, we've, we think there's good value in backing uh, both teams to score here. Um, obviously, Manchester City is strong favourites to win the game, and rightly so. But uh, we're expecting goals over two and a half, or probably over three and a half, actually, maybe even four and a half. Um, is, where, is probably where the market's settled. But uh, we're looking at both teams to score. We've got a 55% chance of, of that happening and the market's around 50 to 51%. So, um, you know, chancing Southampton to at least get a consolation in this one um, is, is the value play from an Infogol perspective. Yeah, certainly a higher goals total at four than, than anything else on the board. And unlike the Liverpool one where you have to feel like that's geared towards how many Liverpool will score, I think this one's more about City will get a fair few, but... Southampton have got a pretty decent chance of getting on the score sheet themselves. Right, so our next game is Sheffield United versus Burnley. And Sheffield United, they've, they've earned themselves a lot of fans this season. It's easy to see why based on some of their performances and results. But there have been a few poor, poor performances that have flown under the radar there as well. Um, the draw against West Ham was probably another one of those. They didn't, they didn't create much. I think McGoldrick had one decent chance and they're pretty, pretty fortunate to just concede the one goal. Burnley, meanwhile, I think they had a, a, a mini blip earlier in the season, but their underlying process has been really solid. It would have been unlucky to concede one against Chelsea, let alone the four. They also created some decent chances, and based on the XG stats alone, they, they should have come away with three points from that game. So 
the data suggests that Burnley would be the play here, but is there any value in that, especially when you consider how strong Sheffield United have looked at home? Yeah, um, I'm quite surprised by the um, you know the outcome on on Sunday, uh, Saturday. Sorry for Sheffield United when they went to West Ham. I was expecting a much better performance than they actually put in, and, and like you mentioned, they were fortunate to get out of there with a with a point. And yeah, it surprised me when I, I, I fired up the computer. Um, Yesterday, looked at the XG uh, table and, and Sheffield United has sat 17th in our expected goals table, which um, I would have thought they would have been a little bit higher. But it just shows you that their, um, you know, their performances haven't actually been as, as good as the results would suggest. So over the course of the season, these sorts of things tend to level out. So it wouldn't be a surprise to see them um, perhaps fall back into a relegation scrap. For the time being, they're, you know, they're sat in a comfortable eighth position. They've got a five-point cushion over over the relegation zone. But um, from what we've seen so far, it's not been uh, as impressive as as the results and perhaps plenty of the pundits would, would suggest it has been. Don't get me wrong, they're, they're a very organised side under Chris Wilder. They're tough to beat. They don't concede too many chances, um, especially on a regular basis. But um, they're not as potent in attack as, as perhaps many would, would think. And you know, you only have to look at the results. They're all really tight games. You've got one nils, one ones, nil nils, um, two nil. They're all tight games. There's no high scoring games. No teams are getting away from them, but they're not getting away from any teams. And, um, and you know, over the course of the season, like I said, these sorts of things level out. Um, uh, their online process has been, it's been okay. They're, they're allowing 1.55 expected goals against, which is, you know, it's fairly high. It's probably just bottom half of the table. Um, and going forward, 1.23 expected goals for. So they've got improvements to make if they're, if they're to solidify themselves as a Premier League team. But for the time being, I'm still proceeding with caution when uh, when looking at Sheffield United. And they do look a little bit short for this game. Um, you know, they're around 44% chance of winning, which is just seem quite short to me, uh, especially against the Burnley team that have been really impressive this season um i don't know what sean dyche has been up to um over in burnley but he's got his team playing really well uh it, like you mentioned they were they were lucky to not get at least a point against chelsea i mean on the day chelsea were just extremely clinical christian pulisic obviously helped himself to a hat trick but all three of those goals were really small percentage chance uh, of, of being scored low probability efforts from distance uh, or tight angles and on another day, Chelsea might probably would, wouldn't have scored any goals. Um, obviously, Ashley Barnes had the guilt edge header that he put wide. I think the score was one nil at the time, so could have been a completely different game. And um, and you know, it just keeps going. Burnley's um, process just keeps getting better and better. Obviously, they went to Leicester the week before, um, deserved at least a point for in that game as well. So that you've got two two games against uh, you know third and fourth in the Premier League table, where Burnley have outplayed them on XG uh, on both occasions, which is a hugely Impressive um, and positive for for Sean Dyche's side. They sit eighth in the XG table. They are flying really. Um, every game apart from uh, I think Liverpool, Chelsea, and Leicester, there are only three defeats. So you look at the Premier League table, and the three defeats have come against three of the top four. Everyone else they've they've either drawn with or beaten. So things are looking really good for Burnley, and you know it, it might be a surprise that we've got them. Uh, as favourites to win this game, uh, for me it isn't. I, I've been really impressed with what they've been doing. I think this game, this is a sort of game that will suit them. The two teams that will not give each other an inch. They'll fight for every single ball. They'll be well organised, well drilled. Um, they'll live off set pieces. I think this is going to be a tight game, but I think Burnley have uh, have the, the more quality in the side to be able to get to get the win and get the three points. And yeah, Infogol's got Burnley as the 42% chance favourites to win this game. So. Compared to the 27% on the on the market, and you've got about a 15% edge there, so we've basically flipped the market on its head in terms of uh, of what we're expecting to happen here. Yeah, really surprising, as you said, completely flipped it. And I must admit, I had I had Burnley down as a potential struggler this season. So fair play to Sean Dyche, whatever he's done, he's he's got them playing, and they they deserve to be where they are. Right, so our next game is West Ham versus Newcastle. And we just mentioned there how West Ham got the better of Sheffield United based on expected goals for the game, but it ended up being a draw, a draw against a home team that, uh, sorry, a draw against a team whose primary concern is going to be staying in the league. So not a great result for them, really. The positive would be that they looked a lot better going forward, still looking pretty shaky at the back. And it, it feels like it's been a good couple of seasons that that's been the issue for West Ham. 
Um, they might have one of the worst defences in the league, but this weekend they're playing against what is the worst attack in the league and by quite some way. Um, we talked about how difficult Newcastle's schedule's been and they probably would have taken a draw against a team like Wolves had you asked at the start of the season, but despite the scoreline, it was another lacklustre performance. I think Almiron had the only real chance of note, along with the Lascelles goal. They also conceded some high-quality chances and, and had Matt Doherty converted that header, I think it was like four yards out. If he'd have got that in in the last minute, obviously it would have been a, a different story altogether. So Newcastle finally getting some respite from last season's elite teams. But as we said last week, these are the games that they really need to take advantage of. So how does Infogol rate their chances here? Yeah, well, I mean, the model in the 1x2 market anyway is, is pretty much in line with what, what's on offer. Uh, around a 51 50 50% chance of, of West Ham getting the win, similar to to what's available. So in terms of value, there's no value in the 1x2 market, but we priced it up pretty similar to um, to what's on offer, which which suggests that both ourselves and uh, and and the market has these two teams in, in pretty, you know, similar, uh, similarly rated. Um, yeah, West Ham were, they were unlucky. It was the best attacking performance that they've had for a while. Uh, I think Robert Snodgrass came in. He made a, he made a huge difference. Um, his energy, um, you know, his willingness to to do a lot of running around, create space for for others. Um, he he, you know, he really impressed when I was watching the uh, the game back. Uh, no doubt he'll start in this one as well. But that that that's the sort of game that at the start of the season West Ham would have been expected to win um, or expecting to win. In fact, you could argue that three of the last four games they would have been expected to win based on um, pre-season expectations. Uh, many people have West Ham down as a, you know, along with Everton, Wolves and, and Leicester as potential top six uh, gate crashes. But um, from what we've seen so far, that, that is, isn't the case. And they're quite a long way, uh, way away from those teams, unfortunately for you, Ben. Um, they sit 18th in our expected goals table. So, are, uh, you know, they're actually fortunate to be where they are in the table, which is you know, mid-table 10th. Defensively, they still concede a lot of good chances. They're averaging 2.03 expected goals against per game, which is the third worst defence in the league. So there's a lot of improvements to be made by Manuel Pellegrini. Um, yeah, that, that, there's not much else you can say about West Ham. We, we keep saying it week on week. They have the capabilities to be so good. Um, they've got some really talented players uh, both on both sides of the ball, attack and defence. Um, yeah, it, it's just it's just not quite clicked yet. Um, whether it will do this season or whether it will under this manager uh, remains to be seen. But we've seen it in in uh, in spurts. You know they defended pretty well against Manchester United, uh, and then they attacked really well against Bournemouth and and Sheffield United, and then they de- defended terribly against Crystal Palace. So we, we've seen it in little bits in in different games, and they yet to put a complete performance together. So. Um, that is, that's why West Ham will, won't be able to kick on to, to the, the same similar sort of levels as what uh, Leicester and Wolves are, uh, are looking to do. And as for Newcastle, you, you know, you're dead right. Their, their schedule has been extremely tough. They've played seven of last season's top eight already in their, in their opening 10 games. So things will only get easier for them. It, you know, <laughs> the fact that they're not in the relegation zone after such a tricky run is, you know, is impressive in itself. And I think Steve Bruce deserves a lot of credit for that. Um, but yeah, you mentioned there the, the underlying process is, is shocking. It's the worst in the league, partly due to the fact that they've had the schedule, uh, the tough schedule. And this is where these are the sort of games that Newcastle could do with taking points now. And and it's where we can get a proper, a, a, you know, we can judge Newcastle fairly on, on, on their abilities and what we can expect from them moving forward. Uh, obviously, West Ham have defensively looked pretty vulnerable. Newcastle's attack has been far from prolific, uh, but they have shown glimpses of what they're capable of, um, you know, when they get the best players on the pitch and the most attacking players with, um, you know, Joel Linton and, uh, and Almiron and St. Maximan, you know, they've got potential there. Uh, it's just whether whether they can t- almost take the handbrake off now and now they're not playing against, uh, you know, top quality opposition and, uh, and put West Ham to the sword. But we're looking at, both teams to score in this one. We think that West Ham are, are vulnerable enough to let a poor Newcastle side score at the very least. Uh, we're around 56% of both teams to score, which I think is pretty much in line with the market or, or maybe a percent in favour. So uh, not too much value, but the market looks to have priced this one up pretty well. Yeah, not going to comment too much on this one, but just hopefully West Ham do the business. 
Right, so we'll move on to our next game, which is Watford versus Chelsea. And, and Watford followed up their draw with Tottenham with another draw against Bournemouth. I mean, from their point of view, it's obviously important not to lose games. But when you're in and around the bottom, they really need to get that win on the board, maybe just to kind of pick up a bit of momentum. The draw was probably a fair result with only a couple of chances of note for each side in the game. And previously, would we would have said that keeping Bournemouth at bay is a plus, but not getting a team against a goal that's a, a goal against a team that's known for their poor defence is obviously a, a big negative as well for Watford. So their opponents, Chelsea, we've been full of praise for them in recent weeks. And if you were to just look at the result against Burnley, you would have thought it was another good another good week for them, but. As we've already said, when you look at those numbers in more detail, it wasn't a good performance and the scoreline massive, massively flattered them. Um, for this one, then, is there any value on Watford finally getting that elusive first win or is it better to side with Chelsea continuing their good run of results? Um, well, Infigal is definitely opposing Chelsea in this one. Um, we're, we're definitely not going to the extent where we think that Watford will get the first win here, but we think that they've got a very good chance of avoiding defeat, better than what the bookmakers are, th- uh, are suggesting. But what we've seen so far from Watford under Kike Sanchez Flores has been it's been pretty positive on the most part. I mean, obviously they had the you know the two defeats in there, the eight 0 at Man City and the two 0 defeat at Wolves. But you know, either side of that, you've got a a, a game at home to Watford uh, to Arsenal, sorry, where they were very unfortunate not to get the win, never mind a draw, racked up over three expected goals. Uh, a nil-nil draw with Sheffield United, in which they were again very unfortunate not to get the three points. They, they, you know, they created the two best chances in the game and limited Sheffield United to very little. They got a very good point at Tottenham uh, and rightly deserved as well. Obviously, it could have been completely different had VAR decided to turn up that weekend. Um, and Watford, Bournemouth, you, you know, it, they're a dangerous t- uh, counter-attacking side, Bournemouth. So you got to be careful with that. And, and you know, it's a deserved point again. So. You know, there's been really positive signs, I think, from a uh, from a Watford perspective, anyway. And uh, you know, I'm not I'm not bought into the fact that they should be, you know, odds on or one of the favourites to go down just yet. I've, I've seen enough to suggest that they can get out of this um, this little slump that they're in. They're for me, the performances against Arsenal and Tottenham are, are the two big indicators for what we can expect in this game against Chelsea. And Watford are a really strong attacking uh, counter attacking side. Um, you know, they, they've got power and pace in midfield with the likes of Ducore, uh, Pereira when he plays. And, and, and obviously up front, I'm hoping that Gerard Delefe will, will get a start. And he's not he's not started as frequently as he would like. But he, he's a really tricky player, um, especially when you're playing on counter-attacks. And obviously Andre Gray. So I think they're, they're, a, they're a dynamic side, Watford, and they, they can cause Chelsea serious problems in this one. Um, they sit rock bottom, obviously, Watford. But according to expected goals, they should be 12th in, in, the, XG, uh, in, in the table. So they're... They're performing like a mid-table side, um, and I think it's only a matter of time before the results come and they and they just you know gradually drift towards mid-table um, safety. Chelsea, they're you know they're absolutely on fire. They are probably the most informed team in Europe, and seven wins in a row in all competitions. Obviously, last week was a sensational week. If you just look at the bare results, winning winning in uh, in Amsterdam, beating Ajax in the Champions League, and then winning in Burnley, which which is a really tough place to go. But um, yeah, the win against Burnley was that was a, a hugely I'm not going to say fluky result, but it was a hugely fortunate result that uh, especially to win by such a margin. I mean, they were extremely clinical on the day. The finish, the finishing was uh, was fantastic. Everything that they hit pretty much went in, um, you know, and they, and they were fortunate not to not to concede from two big chances early in the first half. Another performance like that here, and I, you know, I'd fully expect Chelsea to to drop points. Um, their, you know, their underlying process has been strong this season, especially in attack. So they will create chances, um, but I do worry for them defensively. I know they've they looked a bit sharper recently. They've kept three three clean sheets in all competitions in the last six, so they've looked a little bit better. But the process is suggesting that they're still conceding big chances. Um, 1.34 xga per game. I do feel Watford have got enough to to cause them problems, and I, and I think that this could be a really tricky game for Chelsea. But then again, it's a good test as well um, to see you know how far they've come. This seven match winning streak that they're on. I mean, apart from Ajax, you could argue that they should have won all seven of those games, um, or all six of the other games, excluding Ajax. Sorry, um, and this this is probably one of the tougher tests in that run. So um, it's going to tell us a lot more about about Chelsea. Um, 
but I, I, I think the Infocom model's got this one spot on. Uh, we're 52% chance of Watford avoiding defeat here, which represents a huge amount of value compared to the 42% on the market. So we think it could be another good game for Watford against one of the last season's top six. Right, so our next game is Crystal Palace versus Leicester. Crystal Palace have been one of the biggest overperformers, overperformers this season and despite giving them that tag, they did deserve to get more out of the game against Arsenal based on expected goals. Not going over old ground, but we know how weak Arsenal are at the back with that one. They're going to be hosting a team that everyone was talking up after that. Is, everyone's going to be talking up after that record equaling 9-0 win against Southampton. I don't know about you, but I've seen stuff on Twitter about Leicester should be considered a title contender. They're nailed on for top four. I don't. I think we need to take a step back here and kind of look at those performances in a little bit more detail. I mean, there's there's no doubting how good they've been at the back, but if you're being mentioned amongst like the Liverpool and the Manchester Manchester City of the league, you've got to have a lot more going forward. And it's going to sound strange to say, since they've beaten Newcastle five nil, Southampton nine nil. Um, but beyond those two games, which obviously were against two sides with 10 men, they haven't really produced a great deal going forward. And I'm I'm not suggesting they're not a good side. They could still potentially finish in the top four and, and maybe they're about to really start firing up front. But it feels like there's a bit of over, overhyping going on here. So does InfoGold agree with that? Is there kind of value going elsewhere? Yeah, uh, a million percent. There's, Leicester are being hugely overhyped. Uh, I wrote an article this week um, about Leicester and uh, you know the, the the heading was Leicester City let's not get carried away because everyone seems to be jumping on the bandwagon of, of them being potential uh, title contenders which I think is ridiculous um, you know they, they, their realistic aim should be to finish in the top four that would be a hugely successful season and you know Infogol still got them finishing uh, in the top six on, on our forecast table so I, I think I still think that would be an exceptional season for Leicester um, but yeah, everyone's getting carried away. Obviously, 9-0 is an eye-catching result. It was flattering on the night for them. Uh, obviously, they racked up, what was it, uh, 4.85 expected goals and scored nine. And that's been the, the, the theme of Leicester's season so far. I mean, they've scored 25 goals this season, which is, I think, what, was it? what are two more than, than Liverpool who lead the league? But they've scored 25 goals from chances equating to 14.6 expected goals. So... They're overperforming in attack by a huge margin. Um, and I ran some calculations and, and you know, based on the simulations of, of the chances that they've they've, they've had, there's a 0.83% chance that they would have scored 25 goals from those chances that they've had so far this season. So less than a 1% chance that they'd be on 25 goals, showing just how unlikely it is uh, and just how much they're overperforming. Um, and then again, just how... How likely, how unlikely it is to continue uh, for the rest of the season, and how unsustainable it is uh, the level that they're currently um, putting the goals in. You mentioned defensively they've been pretty strong, 1.15 expected goals against per game, which is you know that's that's, that's pretty impressive. Um, but before the Southampton game, obviously I think we can just almost write that game off in terms of looking at it from a data perspective. Uh, because it skews all the data in terms of Leicester's attacking process, given they were playing against ten men for. 80 minutes of the game. Before that game, they were averaging 1.08 expected goals for per game. So they were really struggling to create clear-cut chances. Um, and obviously Southampton fell in the lap really um, and allowed them to create them at will. So yeah, don't don't get carried away with Leicester. Don't buy into the hype. They're, you know, they're, they're, they're on a good moment right now. They're, they're doing what they need to do. Brendan Rodgers has got them well-organised. Uh, yeah, they're, they're far, far from being a, a you know a title contender and a top four team at the very least. So yeah, don't don't buy into that hype just yet. Uh, give them a few more games. They've got a kind run of fixtures. I was looking at the fixtures. The, the fixtures that they've got are pretty kind, so they could uh, you know quite easily get get themselves on a run, sort the process out, and and start to improve the process over this kind run of fixtures. Uh, but Unless that, hey, you know, if that doesn't happen, then I'm expecting them to slowly fall away um, and perhaps get caught by, um, you know, the chasing pack of whoever that might be. Because I've got to say, the chasing pack at the minute aren't really performing very well either. So, um, you know, it could all fall perfectly for Leicester. They might just stumble the way into into finishing fourth with, you know, given how poor everyone else has been. But yeah, this is a potential banana skin for them. Um, Palace are very much suited to playing counter-attacking football. We saw that again last weekend against Arsenal. Uh, 
you know, the, the pace that they've got. They, I sound like I'm repeating myself when they play a good team, but they, 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 they you know, they're, they're really well coached playing against counter-attacking teams. And I think they'll be counter-attacking against Leicester. I think Leicester are uh, going to go there, dominate the football, try and open Palace up and Palace will hit them on the counter. And I think they can cause them plenty of problems. So uh, we've got no value in the 1x2 market. Uh, Leicester are priced up about right based on our model. Um, uh, we're looking at both teams to score instead. I think it's going to be quite an open, entertaining game. So, um, yeah, both teams to score with about 54% and the market's around the, uh, 53%, I think. So there's a small amount of value there, but, um, yeah, certainly wouldn't be back in Leicester this week. Yeah, my thinking was obviously if Crystal Palace were overperforming and sitting where they are, a Leicester victory away at a team in six or whatever is, is going to look even better and they might be even more overhyping. But... What I was going to ask was, I think the the underlying numbers from Palace from the, the start of the season have obviously totaled up. And is that, I think you've mentioned before about like Zaha. So have we seen a, a bit of a shift? So maybe they're, over the 10 game period, their numbers don't look that great. But more recently, they've actually been putting in some decent performances, haven't they? Yeah, yeah, 100%. Um, they, they started the season with... You know, the, the nil-nil draw with Everton was a poor game. Obviously, the, the, the game against Sheffield United was... was their worst performance of the season by a long way. Um, and then after that, their attacking numbers start getting a little bit better week by week. Um, you know, they went to Manchester United and created one and a half expected goals, which is pretty good. Uh, comfortably beat Villa, racking up nearly two expected goals. Had the blip at Tottenham. Um, you know, a fair 1-1 one, one draw with Wolves, creating a few decent chances. Uh, put Norwich and West Ham to the sword. Obviously against Manchester City, that was just Manchester City doing their thing. And then obviously at Arsenal, they created good chances. So slowly... Slowly but surely, they've been finding the feet. I think part of that is to do with Zaha, yeah. I think at the start of the season, obviously, he wasn't involved um, because the transfer rumours in his head just wasn't right. Um, And he's slowly started getting better and better. And, uh, you know, I watched him in the West Ham game and I thought he was excellent. And obviously, he he was pretty good last week against Arsenal as well. He caused them a fair few problems to the point where uh, Matteo Guendouzi did an NFL tackle on him. So, um, yeah, the, 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 the attacking process has improved week on week, and um, and it, it's definitely it's definitely on the up, um, which is obviously a huge positive for Palace. Uh, but the, the the issue they're having is they're still conceding a few good chances as well in matches. So um, for the time being, they're ranked as a as a bottom half team, uh, but there's definitely scope for that to improve. So now we've got Everton versus Tottenham, and this is our it's our last fixture of the weekend, and it's one that most people probably had as a an important game in the battle for top four if we were closer to the start of the season. Now, however, it's well, it's a bottom of the battle of the bottom half. Sorry, um, Everton. Are, Everton. They're probably that. They're probably the most unfortunate team this season when you look at their expected position in the league against their, their actual one. But it seems like they've had a lot of close games where they've won on xG and then they've actually lost or only managed to get a draw. So I'm not sure how much we should be reading into that. Um, Tottenham, on the other hand, of they pretty much got exactly what their their performances have deserved. The pressing game is gone. We talked about that last week. They look like they can be cut up, cut open at the back at any moment. They've obviously got one of the best forwards in the league, but there just seems to be a, a, a real distinct lack of service into him. So I'm not sure how Tottenham go about sorting out what's wrong. I don't think Pochettino knows. It's It's certainly an issue that won't go away. So... Do the woes continue this weekend at Everton, do you think? Is there any value in the available markets? Yeah, we think there's a huge amount of value. Um, but I'll get to that in a minute. We, you know, This is not a good pod for North London listeners. Um, you know, We've already gone in on, on Arsenal and, and unfortunately Tottenham are going to get the same treatment because they have just been as bad, if not worse, than, than the Arsenal so far this season. Um, they sit three places lower than Arsenal in our expected goal table. They, they sit 13th. And their underlying process has been exceptionally poor they're allowing 1.64 expected goals against per game which is you know that's a huge huge increase on what we've seen in recent years from from Tottenham who are renowned as a solid defensive unit with the likes of Alderweireld and Vertonghen as a solid back two um yeah they just don't look solid anymore they look really gettable uh obviously Liverpool pulled them apart in the in that second half and and in parts of the first half on Sunday no shame in going to Liverpool and losing but when you have a one nil lead and then just almost failed to do any attacking after that. That was, yeah, it was a, it was a tough one for Tottenham fans to take, I think, because uh, they're getting used to seeing these levels of performances. Um, and as for Everton, you mentioned there they've, they've been arguably the most one of the most unlucky teams this season. I, you know, I'd fully, I'd fully back that up. I think 
their pro their performances have, have warranted much much more um and i expect to gold tables they sit fifth so you know if you you look at the the, the actual table and this is 16th versus uh 11th on an expected goals table it's fifth at home to 13th so um we're hugely surprised to see that Tottenham are favourites for this one. Let's put it that way. Uh, but what we've seen from Everton has been, you know, they've been creating good chances on a regular basis. They're averaging 1.61 expected goals for per game. Um, you know, if you look at just home matches so far this season, you know, they, they're, they've racked up 9.2 expected goals in five games. So that, I think that average goes up even more. Um, and defensively, they've not been as bad as, as their actual results would suggest. You know, they're, they're allowing just 1.27 expected goals against per game, which is, nearly 0.4 fewer than what Tottenham are averaging. So, um, yeah, we've got two teams that are struggling here, but one team's got a much better underlying process at this stage of the season um, than the other. So it's no surprise, really, that Infogol's is siding with the home team to get the win. Uh, like I said, the market's got Tottenham favourites that are around 38%, but Infogol's got Everton favourites at around 43%. Um, so there's a huge amount of value, um, it, a 9% difference there between uh, what Infogol thinks of Everton and, and the market uh, in backing a home win and you know it, it's a huge game for both obviously you've got Marco Silva's on the hot seat Pochettino's on the hot seat I think if Tottenham were to win this game I think Silva would be in trouble uh, I can't see the same for Pochettino if they don't get the win but um, Infogol is looking at um, a huge amount of value in backing Everton to get the win. That's the second one of the week, I think, where you flip the market, isn't it? Yes, it is, yeah. Um, very interesting this week, actually. There's some really good fixtures. And it, to be fair, there's quite a lot of value that we've found. So, um, yeah, looking forward to this weekend and seeing how, they, how things play out. Well, yeah, that is all the games we've got. And as you said, some interesting games and some interesting insight from yourself. So, as always, Jake, thanks for coming on and, and highlighting where that value might be for the listeners. No problems. Thanks, Ben. And thanks to everyone for listening. If you want more information on InfoGoal, you can visit infogoal.net, follow at InfoGoal app on Twitter and download the app on Apple and Android. You can see all the latest odds for for this weekend's Premier League fixtures at pinnacle.com. Best of luck with your bets and remember to please gamble responsibly.